0: Hey there, romantics! I'm Morgan. And I'm Isabel.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you'd like to support us even more, please tell your friends or your mom. And subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite listening app. We also have a Patreon if you'd like to give us some financial support.
0: If not, we get it. No worries. All of our content is free for all of our listeners. Thank you again for your support of romance.
1: Thank you so much for listening. I'm Isabeau. I'm Morgan. And this is Romance.
0: A podcast about romance novels. And ourselves. Well, this week, we are very excited to bring you a very special
1: special three-year anniversary episode. Can you believe it, Romantics? You've been on this journey with us for three years. Or maybe just a week. Or maybe, you know, you've dipped your toes in and wandered back. Maybe this is your first episode. Maybe this is your first episode.
0: (laughs) You're so welcome. We are so pleased to have you here. We're going to unfurl our romance emotional blanket. We're going to sweep aside some of the weird sex crumbs we've left behind and then try to act like we don't notice all of the emotional stains across it. We're going to pat our hand next to us so that you know you're welcome to have a seat on this messy three-year-old blanket made all the more beautiful by its patina. Ew. I nailed yet another (laughs) perfect metaphor.
1: (laughs) We're cozy is what we're trying to say. Like, you're welcome here. We keep it loose to keep it tight. Keep it loose to keep it tight. It's the only way to go. So we've been doing this for three years. Morgan, I want to ask you, what have we learned?
0: I have had so many real moments of self-discovery, sometimes just being forced to articulate an idea that I've found deep inside myself and like to make it real and to share it with people. I've also learned that it's not helpful to think about sharing with a lot of people that you should probably only be talking to the person directly in front of you at any given time. I've learned that the idea of generic belies so much space for getting really weird and getting deep into yourself and getting deep into others and getting deep into society.
1: What have you learned along this journey? I've learned that romance is so much more absurd than even I, as a fan, ever thought or counted on. I feel like we started this podcast at an opportune moment of change in romance. And I was really excited to both learn about romance's cardinal sins and also watch the genre and Romance Landia really react and respond. Yeah. To some of those accountings and reckonings. Like, that's been a really cool thing to be witness to and a very small part of. And I think, like, it's been really good. Romance is actually a really good skeleton key, as you say, for understanding other big things that, like, this Pat in some ways, genre can really unlock some really absurd and wonderful and terrible things about our society and ourselves.
0: Yeah. And one thing I've learned is that the voice in your head that reads to you grows with you. Yes. And returning to a well-like romance, returning to the same genre with, you know, similar conventions and tropes and voices allows you to really see that personal growth within yourself and culturally as well. Yes. But you brought up, so much has happened in the three years since we started podcasting. I remember when we started our Twitter account before we released our first episode and we discovered Jen Reed's romance on Twitter and, you know, now they've got faded mates and we made friends with the team over at Learning the Tropes. But the whole central idea behind starting this podcast was that no one else had a romance podcast and now we're part of a network of tons of romance podcasts. And I like the idea that you don't have to have a unique idea to have a unique
1: voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> romance podcasting and romance shows, like shows that to us over <laughs> and over again. It's like, there are only eight tropes. <laughs> there are more than eight books. Yeah, totally. That's lovely.
0: There are and were other romance novel podcasts. I think the area has definitely grown in the last three years we've been doing this. And there have also been some controversies in romance.
1: Yeah, the Romance Writers of America imploded the day before Christmas in 2019.
0: I remember at a time when I thought like the most controversial thing that happened was that someone obviously didn't know who Beverly Jenkins was when they tried to appear woke on their romance blog. Yeah. I'm totally up for naming names. I just can't remember the name of that blog anymore. Well done everyone.
1: Well done everybody. Cancel culture
0: really knocked that one out. Yeah. The first romance novel-centric bookstore in Chicago opened.
1: Love, Sweet Arrow.
0: In Tenley Park, which is a lovely suburb.
1: Also, Women and Children First, one of Chicago's premier feminist bookstores, had fought long and hard to finally get romance on its shelves. It had everything but romance and now has an entire dedicated section. I know. Next project, I'm going to target my friendly neighborhood
0: genre bookstore slash records shop slash VHS store. (laughs) Bucket of Blood, I'm coming for you. You got the sci-fi. You got the horror. You got the true crime where's my romance
1: yeah there's a lot of blood in romance we got weird shit too exactly we got the weird shit
0: come on be subversive Mm -hmm. but I think one of the biggest things I've learned is that there's a real community and to be a part of it in the way that we are has been so generative I think our fans really reinforce all of our most arrogant instincts about ourselves because (laughs) they are so smart, they're so funny, and they have great taste and have often pointed us in the direction of some really great books.
1: Barnstormers.
0: Remember, they selected Gentle Rogue for our final Joanna Lindsay, recommended all of our Entropy series, Mm -hmm. which was a doozy. Boy, howdy. I learned a lot. But also like pointing us in the direction of Jude Lucens, mm-hmm. which is a recent one.
1: The Cecilia Grant Christmas novella, which was like everybody and their mother wanted us to read. And like, turns out everybody and their mother was right. It was a total delight. So good.
0: But also authors who've come to visit us who have brought incredible books to our attention, like mm-hmm. Whitney My Love, when Scarlet Peckham came and chatted with us about that, or when Suleika Snyder came on and talked to us about the Jade Temptress. Like, when was the last time you read Jeannie Lynn? It should have been a week ago.
1: So great. Exactly. So great. What a competent writer.
0: And of course, Melanie Johnson gave us...
1: Laura Kinsale, The Gift That Gives, and also her audiobooks. I'm like our entire discussion with Melanie Johnson about the world of audio romance.
0: incredible. And then our friends right now doing Hookup State of Mind, totally bending the genre of audiobooks, podcasting, publishing. Rose Lerner coming on our special Jane Eyre project. I mean... We're gluttons for friends, Libra Aries, double baby combo here on the show. And so whenever it came time to celebrate our three-year anniversary, there was only one group of people we wanted to talk to, and that is our listeners. One of the things I think is great about us, if I could be so blunt, is that we're okay with dissent. Yes. We're okay with argument. What does your friend say whenever we have a
1: particularly tense episode? We are spicy. spicy with one another. We're spicy with our books. We're spicy with our authors.
0: You know, being spicy doesn't necessarily mean we don't love it. And in fact, like all of the energy, right? The opposite of love isn't hate. It's indifference. And oftentimes our listeners don't agree with us.
1: (laughs) And, like, I love when we say something wrong and somebody shows up on Twitter and is like, actually, blue stocking comes from the women who went to these blue stocking discussions and lectures. Like, I learn so much from our listeners and our interactions, not just about the community, but also about words and entomology and, like, yeah. all sorts of stuff. Like, jumper stays and, like, old-timey corsets. Like, I feel like I've learned so much. The podcast is really the gift that gives to me.
0: But also, like... The- The idea of, like, a bad review being a place where you can find what you love. Oh, my God. Esme Brett, feminist romance, coming Mm. on our show to talk about Joanna Lindsay's outer space opera. Yep. She wrote this great piece about what it means to give a negative review and to, like, be completely reductive in response to that. To say, like, when I go on Yelp, sometimes I'll see someone be like, too dark, too loud, hated this bar. And I'm like, can't wait to go there. That sounds right up my alley. So I think we have a group of people who we get to have a conversation with. And it is wonderful to, like, sit across air quotes from you, Isabel. And then to realize that there are all of these other people at the table with us who are insightful and brilliant and funny. And I'm so pleased with the community that has formed around us and also with the relationship we've built between each other over the last three years.
1: (laughs) Also a lasting gift.
0: Yeah, I don't know if people would be surprised to learn this, but we like record for like three hours at a time, but then we also talk to each other for at least an hour a week on the phone. We do. We're talkers. It's bottomless content. (laughs) (laughs) We're so charmed by ourselves and one another, I feel like.
1: It is one of those partnerships and, like, not to be, like, weird, but, like, it was, like, those Crosby and Hopes. Like, we really add a lot to one another's delivery. Like, we're a very famous duo. We're a
0: famous duo. This is completely edited out of your version of our origin story, but Isabel was not interested in being my friend. (laughs) Visibly tried to repel me. That's not true.
1: One
0: time I sat next to her in lecture and I was like, I don't know anyone here. And do you know what she said to me? No. Isabel, you said to me, you won't meet anyone else unless you sit next to them. (laughs) Whatever. I don't remember that. Visibly upset that I wanted to talk to you after our first precept. No. I didn't care. I would follow you anywhere. Thank you. Like the pokey little puppy.
1: I mean, I walked through a snowstorm to watch the season premiere of whatever bachelor that was.
0: Yeah. Oh, that was such a special night.
1: That was a really good night. You turned it up for that. I was so glad to experience that with you. And also like meet Brandon and like corduroy R.A.P. and Vesper. That was that was a wonderful night. I think about that. Best Domino's pizza topping combo, sausage and spinach. Yeah, I mean I really can't disagree. It was so fucking good no notes
0: and so on our picnic blanket which was so effective before so i am sticking with it we're gonna open up a box of our own sausage and spinach pizza and we invite you to chow down while we listen to some woes from our listeners books that you know not necessarily were like the best but were definitely books that romance novels that made you stop and say whoa
2: In a world where women hold all the power, a titled man can do little but accept his fate, that his sole purpose is to secure a good match and hope his bed price is high enough. My woe (laughs) is kind of like a woe? It's Ritual of Proof by Dara Joy. And when I read this, so I guess it was published in 2001 and I read it pretty close to when it was published. I hadn't actually read a lot of romance novels and I didn't get actually for several years that, it was a satire. I remember it being pretty hot, but it is also mostly super weird. For me, it was weird. It's women in the future go to a planet and they colonize it and they bring plants and they make it a matriarchal society. So women hold all of the power and men are used for power alliances and making babies. And I guess the weird thing about it was that they deal with like the concept of virginity and how the women have engineered men to have this like hymen-like sheath over their penis. I mean, it's been like almost 20 years since i read it. So this is my memory of it. And that also they had found out a way to speed up pregnancy. So a woman only has to be pregnant for three months, but you still get like the full nine month development, that kind of thing. And then the other thing about it is that the name, are golden Jorlin Reynard, and Markel Green Tamron yeah read it I mean I even have to reread it to get a better sense of how it is as a satire and now that I've read tons of romance I probably have a better understanding of why it's a satire but seriously it was like a whoa for me Hi, romance, this is Alexandra. I can't single down my favorite romance novel, and so I just wanted to tell you how much I love time travel romances. And so my most recent woe has been the Must Love series by Angela Corals. classic tale of time traveling to meet your soulmate and each book is a different time period and has a different couple but these books have the perfect sprinkling of spicy scenes and I think you will love it so I can't wait to hear what you think of it bye
3: Hey Morgan and Isabeau, love your show. This is Katie. My Womance is the comic series Saga by Brian Vaughn and Fiona Staples. It's just super sexy, hot, space, epic, Romeo and Juliet, Game of Thrones type, star-crossed lovers from warring species. It is pretty violent. It's super weird, but it's got a bunch of great tropes unplanned um, pregnancy <laughs> just like on the run and they encounter all these wonderful characters and their relationship grows stronger as the series progresses highly recommend it saga
4: hello romance podcast my first best most woest romantic suspense i'd like to mention is the killer instinct series by l kennedy i'm more of a historical romance kind of girl but i love these and inhale to eight books within 10 days they are thrilling action-packed troopy kind of problematic at times but extremely sexy i've not been able to find any other romantic suspense books that live up to my incredibly high stance because of this series and that's why i'm sharing this record for everyone thank you for bringing me joy each week and sending you of love from Australia. My woe is the book Fix Her Up by Tessa Bailey. This was one of the first contemporary romance books I read, and it made me realize that I am very into dirty talk. Hey,
3: womance! Happy birthday. It's me, Scarlett Peckham, and I would like to submit for the romance canon that everyone should read a book called A Seditious Affair by the master author KJ Charles. It is a historical queer BDSM masterpiece of fabulous plotting and deeply, deeply emotional characters, gut-wrenching tension, essentially everything that you could possibly we want in a romance novel. And oh, it's also extraordinarily hot. If you like this book, I think you have excellent taste and I would love to
4: talk to you all about it someday.
3: Happy birthday, love Scarlet.
4: Hey, Womance, this is Vin from Montana. My romance is Deerbug Perfume by Tom Robbins. It's the story of Albar and Kudra, two lovers who find immortality and then spend a thousand years running around Eurasia, living different lives trying to keep that immortality for good in the company of pan the demigod and all sorts of other characters it's an awesome book full of sort of some heady darkly humorous explorations of life and religion but there's also tons of raunchy sex and a little bit of violence and a little bit of everything in between it's an awesome book i'd highly recommend it i even named a cat after kudra
5: Hello, romance! Happy three year anniversary. My name is Cecily. I'm a longtime listener and a huge fan of the podcast. I've listened to all of your episodes, sometimes multiple times. And I wanted to tell you about the book In For a Penny. It's the debut novel of the author Rose Lerner. It came out in 2010, and I think it is a little bit underappreciated or overlooked, which is why I'm recommending it today. It's a marriage of convenience plot with a wealthy heiress, heroine, and a poor aristocrat hero and it's not a perfect book by any means but it is one of my all-time favorites and i think it's doing so many cool things all right here's to three more years of your show Woohoo! Kyoto is call Esme Brett Talkawingla. Hi everybody, my name is Esme Brett. You might know me as at feminist underscore romance on Instagram. The romance novel that made the biggest impact on me would have to be Prince of Broadway by Joanna Shu. And it's because of the epilogue. Like I don't want to spoil all that goodness for you, but I will say that it's a non-traditional ending and it kind of eschews the trappings of domesticity that so many male female historical romances fall prey to. And it's not saying it's a bad thing, that's fine heaps of instances. But I always find it a little bit like the hero was such a angry, fierce, badass and then suddenly her personality is like smiling wryly at her husband's jokes in the epilogue and oh the children are fighting aren't they cute i need to see ass-kicking heroines get ass-kicking endings and florence absolutely does i would like more i want more florence or florence her HEA involves her and her men's living in happily unmarried sin while her business is booming she's out there living her best life and that is a dream i can get behind
3: Hi, this is Katrina Jackson, and A Romance That Makes Me Go Whoa is actually a collection of short stories by Brooke Winters called Neil, and they are erotic lesbian submission shorts, and they are just (sighs) fantastic and so engrossing, and I could read that collection over and over
2: again.
4: My largest romance woe was from an earlier episode when you were talking about an 80s romance novel I can't even remember the title of, but you went on a tangent about Reaganomics, and I have never before found anyone who could combine economics and romance novels in a way that made my heart just pitter-patter, and it made me a romance lover for life.
5: Hi, this is John. So an oldie but a goodie romance for me is Pride and Prejudice. Love Elizabeth, love Mr. Darcy, their will-they-won't-they all the way throughout is phenomenal. I love the period piece, and if you haven't read it yet, I would definitely recommend it. Thanks.
2: Hi, Womance. One of my favorite reads recently was the book A Rogue of One's Own by Evie Dunmore. It is the sequel to the book Bringing Down the Duke. Not only were the characters fascinating and entertaining, it was also really cool to read a book in a historical context about the suffragist movement, which I also found very interesting. And it was a great escape from the world that we currently live in. Hey, Morgan and
3: Isaboo. This is Elena from Brooklyn, New York. First off, let me start by saying that I love your podcast. My favorite romance novels of all time has to be Normal People by Sally Rooney. This is a spin on romance and it's not your typical girl meets boy trope. This story takes us on an adventure with highs and lows and the author Sally Rooney knows her stuff. These complex characters, we root for them but we also know that being together might not be what's best. Another good romance novel has to be Bridgerton the Duke and I. I know the Netflix show just came out and everyone's going goo goo gaga but I think this is a good beginner romance especially if you want to try something out in the historical fantasy realm. Something to note here is the typical trope of women in this time period. They are often submissive and weak but once they meet this man they go through this sexual awakening and then become strong and independent. I'm not saying this is a bad thing but it just makes me question if women really want to be uplifted from poverty and is it a bad thing for us to want these things? Another romance novel that does not get enough hype is The Shape of Night by Tess Gerritsen. This paranormal romance is more surrounded by murder mystery, but it still has its very steamy scenes. Basically, the protagonist falls in love with the ghost that is inhabiting her house, who happens to be the owner of the house, the original owner. The romance novel that really got me into the genre has to be The Best of Me by Nicholas sparks very 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 good it's kind of simple but also really heavy and it just makes you think does romance last through decades and if two people are meant to be together will they end up being together
4: again that's all i have to say bye morgan bye isabu happy three-year anniversary romance i'm so excited that you've made it this far and can't wait to see or hear what you do next in the years to come. So, my favorite book, well, the most influential romance book, I should say. I don't know if it's my favorite. I don't think I could pick a favorite. Anyway, my most influential romance novel would have to be the one that blooded me. The very first romance novel I ever read. The one that hooked me and made me want to keep reading and coming back for more. And that would be Savage Thunder by Joanna Lindsay. I found this book while babysitting one night when I was, I think, 10, maybe 11, Possibly 12, whatever the case, probably too young to be reading what I read. But I loved it. It was about a widowed duchess and she travels to America for adventure and other stuff too. I think she was in trouble or hiding from something. I don't know. The important thing is, she meets Colt Thunder, described in the book description as a desert stallion. And of course he and this English rose meet and sparks fly and oh my goodness, I was hooked. Four words for you, sex on a horse.
0: of the most influential recommenders in our sphere, Sarah Carmody on Instagram. She was not able to make a recording, but she did send us an email and I would like to read her email recommendation. Sarah writes, I wanted to share an author I think is criminally underrated, Rose Lerner. That's called Synergy, kids. She wrote this before we recorded with Rose. We already had it scheduled. I just want that known on the record. Sarah writes I think she is an excellent writer, but does not get the recognition she deserves. I want to bring attention to one book of hers in particular Listen to the Moon, which is the third book in her lively St. Lemiston series. It is a marriage of convenience story between two servants. Actual servants, a valet turned butler and a maid, no one is an aristocrat in disguise or long lost heir or anything like that. Sarah knows how to appeal to
4: us.
0: (laughs) Lerner's books often star characters outside the historical romance norm. For example, a Jewish hero in true pretenses. And it was just so interesting to read a romance between two servants. Plus, the characters just felt so real and the relationship complex. There is a class difference and age difference between the two that I thought the book did a great job with. Lerner does lots of research too, so the book was interesting from that perspective as well. That's true, Rose. Also, you can hire her to help you out with your research. On another note, you mentioned in the most recent episode about the dearth of historical romances set post-World War II, and I wanted to see if you had ever read about Emma Berry and Genevieve Turner's Fly Me to the Moon series. These books are set in the 1960s. They are space race historical romances. My favorite was Earthbound The second book in the series about a woman who is the director of computing at fake NASA and <laughs> a man who is the director of engineering at fake NASA if you're interested in checking them out. Oh my gosh thank you so much Sarah for that Whoa, We love Rose Lerner here at the show and did get to chat with her about the first 15 chapters of Jane Eyre which was so much fun. So what's your woe? What's my woe? What's your woe? Beast by Judith Ivory. You know, it's hard to say like, a Week to be Wicked by Dare, you know, isn't my, my biggest woe, because it was the first romance novel I read, and it's still a book that is a great example of romance. But Beast was one of those books where I realized, which is weird to say for the second romance we read, but it was one of those books that showed me that there is a lot of stretching in this material, that you could have two unlikable lead characters who you were still fascinated with, mm-hmm. and a book could be sexy out outside of a sex scene or an explicit sex scene or even explicit desirability and that the traffic of romance isn't necessarily sexuality in a concrete sense like it's not about the act of making love mhm so much that it is about love making mhm if that makes sense And then also probably Gaywick by Vincent Verga.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, I will never get over the masturbatory cave scene where everything is a seashell and, like, coming is, like, being in a high tide. I just, like, forever and always will think of that scene. In A Week to be Wicked, not Gaywick, which
0: also has oceanic sex.
1: (laughs) It does.
0: But instead of everything being a seashell, everything was a marble statue. God, that book. So
1: good. What's your woe? What's your woe? Well, you got two, so I feel like I get two. But
0: let me remind you. Uh
1: Uh-huh. The original conceit of this
0: podcast was that I, a romance novel virgin. A newbie, I think. (laughs) Spoke. To you, a romance novel veteran. Mm-hmm. That's a learning the tropes reference. It is. But I, a neophyte, was learning about the genre from you. Someone who has read romance since they were 13.
1: Right. And so I feel like it would be remiss if I said that, like, my woe wasn't Johanna Lindsay's So Worthy My Love, which is the first woe. Also, maybe one of the woes that I have read the most often. Really? Oh, yeah. I've returned to this book at several... Several points. I read it when I was 13. I reread it in high school. I reread it in college. I reread it again in my mid 20s. Like I love this book book.
0: So Worthy, My Love by Kathleen Woodowiss.
1: Yeah, Kathleen Woodowiss. I love this book. I love this cover. I love everything about it. It takes place in winter, so everything's very cozy. There's a lot of fur and velvet and fire. The other thing, like, I love about it is that she has two equally good choices. Obviously she ends up with the hero, but she's presented with another choice, like another version of her life that would have been happy.
0: Is that a trope in name? Two equally good choices?
1: No, it's not. It doesn't happen very often.
0: It should be a trope in name, though, because I think about so many of the novels we've loved, they've had two equally good, or like two reasonable options.
1: Two reasonable options, yeah, and I think like it doesn't happen enough in romance, and like I wish it happened more. Maybe it's like a sub trope. So like I feel like it would be remiss if I didn't mention that one. But thinking about the podcast and like the things that we've discovered together and with this community, I mean, we mentioned some at the top: Jeannie Lynn and Laura Kinsale and mm. Courtney Milan and Alexis Daria. I've learned so much. And so I'm trying to think if I had to limit it to the three years that we've been doing the podcast with my Kathleen Woodowiss starter, like as my always, already.
0: The amuse-bouche. Yes, the amuse-bouche. The entirely hefty amuse-bouche.
1: God, I love that book.
0: Like a dozen
1: custard-filled quail eggs. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I just had to eat them all. Then I would say that... Scarlett Peckham has surprised me. Like, I read her entire first series, The Earl I Ruined, The Duke I Tempted. The Lord I Left. The Lord I Left. I read them all. I devoured them all. The Duke I Tempted was really great. The Earl I Ruined was my favorite of the three. And The Rake was really so good and so fascinating and doing so many things. And just, like, what's so awesome about having Kathleen Widowis and then, like, inheritors like Scarlett Peckham and Joanna Shoup and Alexis Daria is that, like... I can draw the line and I can feel woed by them in this way and that they've created something so unique and so wonderful inside a genre that like shouldn't have any surprises, (laughs) but always does. Yeah. And the fact that I can say, whoa, from 1982 to 2020 and 21, I think is pretty amazing
0: yeah and like I think finding those lines is so important but I think also the fact that we can find pleasure in these classic romances like Shanna and also something completely fresh and that has this really at once core and at the same time broad understanding of love like and Mm-hmm. Strange love. Strange love. And to be able to enjoy both of those texts, but also to be able to, like, stretch our legs and read polyamorous romance and to also, you know, read queer romance, to read own voices romance by people of color. And I think being able to find the same pleasure in, like... Or being able to find pleasure in a... Because I don't want to say the same pleasure. But being able to find pleasure in, like... A Joanna Lindsay spank fest from the early 90s or late 80s. And also knowing that I can have a lot of fun and also a rich discussion of like a self-published contemporary It's so wonderful. And I think, you know, happily ever afters, I think they're still difficult for me after all this time, you know, like, but it never ruins a book. Like a bad happily ever after alone rarely ruins a text for me. And I think that's because at the core of romance is finding a kindred and what love is, you know, finding a kindred in a place that you didn't necessarily see it before. And I think we've also done that here at Womance. Maybe you don't necessarily, fit in with other voices of the romance genre or the sci-fi genre. but you you definitely have a place on our
1: picnic blanket. I'm not letting it go. You don't have to. This <laughs> patina only gets deeper and richer with time. And in the 3 years that we've had together, we've had some spills, some thrills, and some really good times. Yeah. Also, honorable mention, I have to leave you with Mermaid's Kiss <gasps> and also sleeping together about like <gasps> working for that drug company in Seattle and like meeting each other in their dreams. Like this is a genre that is bending and pulling and pushing all of us forward and backward and the reckoning continues you are
0: not constrained by a single setting you are not constrained by a need to be a certain kind of intellectual you are not constrained by a need for symbolism here in romance the idea is good feeling, which can be enhanced by bad feeling with our angsty friends. And that, like, I think that's just like such fertile soil. Yes. And is the reason we've been able to find stuff to talk about to varying degrees of effectiveness.
1: <laughs> three years. And hopefully we will continue to bring our spicy hot takes and our mistakes and our own reckonings forward. Thank you so much for being a part of our conversation. Uh, We obviously don't exist without you guys listening.
0: And if you want to check out any of the books that were mentioned on this episode, we do have a website, Womanspodcast.com, and we will be creating a blog post with a collection of these stories so that you can find them on your own. What's our... What's our outro?
1: Loosen your stays,
0: but never your principles. whoa golly gee thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of womance
1: womance is hosted by isabeau that's me
0: and morgan that's me production is by nick gravelin
1: our web mistress is the incomparable jane bonzak
0: and our illustration and logo were created by mary reichman they're the best.
1: If you'd like to follow Creep or connect with <laughs> us on our social media platforms you can find us at mans underscore woe on Twitter, womance on Instagram or email at mail at gmail dot com. You can also hang out on our amazing website at Womanspodcast.com.
0: You can support us by using our code to visit our sponsors or go to our Patreon where we are
1: womance. Womance is officially part of the front. Frolic Podcast Network.
0: Discover more podcasts just like our own centering on romance and reading at frolic.media slash podcast. Until next week.
4: Mwah.